This is my story. There's a story in the Gospels of a blind man, blind since birth, and he came upon Jesus, and Jesus in his mercy, because he is merciful, healed him. Used in an unusual way, he spit on some clay and dirt and put it in his eyes, and, and the man could see. And because he could see... That was his story. And you know, it's a story you'd think that everybody would be excited about. Are you kidding me? You were blind, but now you see. But instead, people got angry. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand this Jesus. They didn't understand his power. They didn't understand this story. And really, instead of having those rally around him and support him and love him and delight in him, instead, what happened was he got ridiculed and scorned because of his story. That's what we're going to find today in our text, that even living this Christian life, living out this story, living out his story, there are going to be those who don't get it. Cademan's Call has written a song called This Is My Story, uh, telling their story that we're going to sing today. And really, it, it says this, although I was once blind, now I see, and the world may mock me, but this is all that I know. As the ushers come forward to receive our, our tithes and, uh, his tithes and our offerings what a privilege it is to be a part of his story. I love the fact that recently we got this from a young man in our church for the Helping Hands Housing in Eatonville. Yesterday we had a great project. Uh, he sold lemonade, was able to provide $9.05. Whatever God has given to us, may we give back to him with thankful hearts and in asking him to tell his story through us. Let us pray. Oh, Father God. All that I know, all that we know, is that we deserve your wrath and we received your mercy. That we were once blind, blind to the truth of who you are, blind to the truth of who your son is and what he has done for us, blind to the work of your Holy Spirit. And now because of your grace, because of your mercy and your love, we can see. We thank you for the life that reigns in us. Because it's the life of Christ that reigns in us. That our, our lives truly are hidden with him. And Father, we ask now that you would move our hearts. Cause us to see that all that we have is because of your grace. All that we have, we are merely stewards of. The only thing that we can claim on our own is our sinfulness. But God, we ask now that we can express a tangible expression of love to you. And that, God, that you would use our gifts to advance your kingdom. And no matter what the world says about selling lemonade to give away money to helping hands, or no matter what the world says about giving to you your tithes and our offerings, God, may we say, this is all I know, is that my Savior loves me, and that I love him too. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen.
Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, that truly is our story. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And Father, we ask that you would come with power and allow us to see ourselves rightly in your eyes, who we are in Christ. Allow us to see afresh what our Savior has done for us. Allow us to see afresh what lifestyle our world is living and how you are calling us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to tell your story. And no matter what they say, and no matter what they do, Father, may we truly live in a manner that brings you pleasure and declares the truth that now by your grace we can see. Father, we pray that you would come with power through the power of your spirit and open up our ears to hear. Not only give us the ability to see, but give us the ability to hear. And Father, also we ask because of your mercy and how much we need you that you would give us minds to understand. That Father, you would soften our hearts and so that we can embrace your truth. And that God, for your glory and for your kingdom's sake, that you would empower our feet that we can truly walk in a way that's winsome, in a way that tells your story, in a way that brings you honor and glory. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers us to do all of this. We pray that Jesus and Jesus alone receives glory, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to jump back to 1 Peter 3 and pick up one verse and look at four verses Two through six. Interesting article out of Time Magazine this week. A picture of a Rolls Royce with a front hood ornament of a cross asking the question Does God want you to be rich? I would imagine that this is probably the only culture in all of Christendom that is asking the question Does God want us to be wealthy? We live in a time where there are those who are preachers who are uh, even today on the airwaves and filling up huge auditoriums, preaching a message that Jesus' message for us is this, one that we should be wealthy, that we should be healthy, and it's a health, wealth, prosperity message. And you know what? Many of us are eating it up. Recently, I heard Richard Pratt say that we are living in the absolute uh, uh, society that is the most me society. Completely forgot the word. Most egocentric society ever. And when you take an egocentric society that thinks it's all about them and you preach a gospel that is health, wealth, and prosperity, oftentimes it's embraced. But let me tell you right now, one thing very clear, it's garbage. Because it's not biblical. You look into Paul's, uh, Peter's letter here, and we realize that they are not asking this question. And yet, we have preachers who will say things like, God wants us to have nice things. Yes, it's true that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his very soul? But some will say, why not have both? Well, clearly it's time for right thinking in the church. Clearly it is. I mean, this, is, this isn't the outside world with this garbage. This is the inside the church that is preaching this, 
saying that this is God's will for us. So clearly it is time for us as the body of Christ to have right thinking. If those to whom Peter was writing were reading the Pontus Times as the beginning of 1 Peter 1, it tells us to the areas it writes, the question on the cover of their magazine might read this, does God want me to be a martyr and be killed for my faith? Clearly, it was time for right thinking in the early church too. Not asking the same questions, but still living in a pagan culture that was confusing. Not only that, this Orlando Weekly magazine that came out this week, some pictures of some ichthuses with uh, some Darwin signs on there, and it reads this, Atheist Among Us. What it's like to be a non-believer in a God-fearing city. Isn't it interesting that they call us a God-fearing city? And what it did, it did, it did this. It was pretty interesting. It interviewed several atheists. And it said, now tell me what it's like to live in central Florida, in Orlando, as one who does not believe God. Now I want you to know, I, I was ready. I was excited. I thought, I'm probably going to hear some pretty good arguments, uh, or at least some logical or sound arguments, as to why one should not believe in God. Now we know by God's grace, because by God's grace we can see, for those of us that are his, and by God's grace, we can see the truth. And now we can't not see God anywhere. He's, he is everywhere. And we see him in everything. But there are those who don't believe in God. And I was waiting to hear their argument. Why don't you believe in a supreme being? Do you know what they use as their polemic, their argument against God? The church. They said because the church is run more like a business, because of the church is so hypocritical, because of the institution of the church, therefore I do not believe in God. Now, first of all, I really have a problem with their logic. It's kind of like asking someone who, who's a vegetarian, why are you a vegetarian? And they said, well, I had a bad experience at McDonald's. He said, well, what does that have to do with being a vegetarian or not? But it's interesting because these people that they interviewed in this article, each one of them pointed back to the inconsistency of the church and said, that is why I do not believe in God. Clearly, it is time for us to have right thinking. Clearly, we have to live out our faith in a way that does proclaim the reality that God does exist. If those who were reading the Cappadocia Weekly in Peter's day, the question would be, that the actual the comment would be, not atheists among us, and what is it like to live in a God-fearing city? The question would be, Christians among us, and what it is like to be in a pagan society. And one thing that interesting that the atheist said is, we're being harassed for the lack of belief we have. And one thing that's very clearly seen in Peter's letters, those who do believe in God, those Christians living in a culture, a pagan culture, were being harassed for their beliefs. Clearly, it is time for right thinking. Clearly, it is time for right living. And clearly, that reality was also prevalent in the early church. Right thinking and right living according to God's will. And listen, Here's the reality. If we have right thinking, if we have right 
acting and right living, does that mean that we will be healthy, that we will be wealthy, that we will be prosperous? If we have right acting, right thinking, right living, does that mean that God is going to be so excited about us that we will have that gospel that some preach of health, wealth, and prosperity? No. Scripture is very clear. Right thinking, right living can be dangerous. It's costing our brothers and sisters their lives even today. Right thinking, right living is the safest place we can be in God's arms, but not in our society's arms. You see, Peter's addressing people who were suffering, experiencing great pain and difficulty because, because they were following Jesus. They were being treated as losers. And Peter is reminding them that you're not losers. I mean, they, you seem to be, to be so alien to your culture. They don't know what to do with you. And they seem to be, are we on the losing team? But look again at 318. It's a proclamation that because of who they are in Christ, they're winners. That they have been saved and rescued. They've been given life that cannot be lost. Look at 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once and for all. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh. But made alive in the spirit through this incredible sacrifice. Through the incredible work of Christ. Sinners like us can not only see, but we can be ushered into the presence of God. Guaranteed his love, guaranteed his victory in Christ. We may be treated like losers, but we're not. No matter what the odds are against us, in Christ we proclaim victory. And it's in verses 19 through 22 where he points to Noah and he reminds us the reality that Noah lived a righteous life and he was the only one who got it. And for 120 years he's building this mountain of wood and everybody's making fun of him. And everybody's saying, what in the world are you doing? You're you're giving up your life. You're you're spending everything you have on a dream. What are you doing? Come and live and eat and drink and party and be happy. And he says, no, there's a God i got to live for. And he's he's got a, a, a wrath against sinfulness. And even against the odds, you have Noah who will live a righteous life. And and Peter points to him and says, no matter how they malign you, no matter how you get ribbed for living a righteous life, God wins. And you will win too. And it's incredible because Peter is now saying, he's, 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 he's laying this out for us and he's pointing his back to Jesus. And he says, I know it really hurts. And I know it's some really difficult times and I know the odds are against you, but don't forget, victory is ours in Christ. And now with the remaining days that we have, now with the time that God has given us, we need to live our lives as those who have received this victory. We need to live our lives for the will of God, no longer for the will of man or the will of flesh. God desires to proclaim his victory through us. The victory over our sin, over death. And God wants us to enjoy the greatest riches ever. The riches of Christ. I read 3.18. That will give us a springboard into 4.2, reminding ourselves that we're reading the very uh, word of God. Because of this great victory in verse 1, 4, 1, there's a therefore. Therefore, uh, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
And here in verse 2 it says this, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of man, but for the will of God. Peter's basically saying there's this incredible victory that so radically changed your life, my life, that we should now be living the rest of our lives according to the will of God. And look at what he tells us in verse 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. He's basically looking into our lives and says, before we came to Christ, you had plenty of time to act like a pagan. You had plenty of time to live in darkness as as one who was spiritually blind and carry out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised. Who are they? Those, those non-Christians, those Gentiles who don't follow Christ. They are surprised that you don't plunge in with them, that you don't run with them in the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Oh, Father, we ask that you would truly bless not only the reading of your word, but with power, the continual preaching of your word. Amen. My brothers and sisters, the exhortation for us today is clear. It's time to live for the will of God. It's time for us to live for the will of God. The time to live like pagans, like the Gentiles, like the non-Christians is over. If you and I, by God's grace, are born again Christians, if we have that victory in Christ, how shall we now live? God's word clearly says we now shall live for the will of God. How do you live for the will of God? What does it mean to live for the will of God? Well, there's two things you must have. It's time for right thinking, and it's time for right living. First of all, it's this. It's time for right thinking. We've got to realize that right thinking doesn't come naturally to us. On our own, by nature, we are not going to think rightly. What theologians will call the noetic effects of sin, that which has affected our minds and our understanding, that which has affected all of our very being, that we are totally depraved because of sin. We are born into this estate. And naturally, we aren't going to think rightly. Naturally, we are, or what Scripture will say, children of wrath. Naturally, we are those who will run away from God. Naturally, we are those that will follow that list of drunkenness and lust and carousing and sensuality. Naturally, that is what we will pursue. If you have any doubt of that, go back and ask those who are working the nursery today, tell me about the noetic effects of sin. Tell me about how our young people are acting in the nursery? Does sin come naturally to them or do they rightly think rightly? Do they naturally think rightly? And the obvious answer is no. What God's word clearly tells us as well, by his grace he tells us this, is this, being the life of the party will not give us life. 
Well, at least not lasting life. Enlist a, uh, the pursuits, and maybe in our past life we can say, well, I didn't pursue all of those things, and there's only some of those things I've done, and I wasn't as bad as I can be. And granted, by God's grace, we aren't as bad as we can be. But left on our own, naturally, we will pursue those things until something happens, until there's a radical change. You know what that is? Until God, by his grace, gives us something greater to pursue. Listen, we, by nature, we're going to pursue that which the world will tell us will give us life. By nature, as sinners, we pursue those things thinking that we will gain life. And there's truth. I I wish I could tell you, you know what? Uh, Go to a party and have a few drinks and get drunk and and, and enjoy the sensuality part of life. It's no fun at all. Well, the truth is there is some fun in that. The world knows that they want to deal with the pain. They want to have some life. But God's word says ultimately that will not give you life. And the only way we will change from living this way is if we change our thinking. And that's by God's grace when he makes us a new new creature. When he takes away the old and he gives us a new nature with a new ability to choose the will of God. And we realize that living for the will of God is even greater. It truly will provide us life. It's radical new thinking. And until we have that by God's grace, we will spiral in this lifestyle. It's time, my brothers and sisters. It's time for us to have radical right thinking. Realizing that God's way truly brings life. Because we cannot live for the will of God until we have that right thinking. And we can't even begin until God does his work in us first. Is that grace or what? Until he gives us the ability to think rightly. I'm passionate about this. I mean, I, I, it's amazing as, as your pastor living in the today's times. And you read that, that, that Times magazine. And, and I, I just start getting bowed up because I love you. And I, and I want us to be under the truth and living out the truth. And, and to realize that there's a way of life out there that the pagan world will tell us to live. And, and so there's a sense where we got to fight against the way they're living. And naturally, we got to understand our natural inclination is to go that way. But by God's grace, he's told us to go another way. But there's something else we got to fight. It's fighting some of the thinking inside. Some of the thinking inside that it's the will of God for us to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That it's something strange if we're to suffer. And so we really need right thinking for right living. And that's why it's so important with, with what we have. That's why it's so important that every week we come to God's word and say, God, on our own, we won't get it. Come with your power of your spirit and open up our ears to hear so we can think rightly. That's why we have these equipping center classes. That's why we're encouraging you in C2 groups. That's why we're encouraging you to be good Bereans and to study God's word. And wrestle with truth so that we can have right thinking. It's not only time for right thinking, it's also time for right living. Again in 3 it says, the time's already passed. It's already been passed to live in the way that non-believers live. And in all this, they, in verse 4, they are surprised. They're dumbfounded. They don't get it. That you do not run and do the same thing. You don't, do not plunge in with them into the same excesses of dissipation 
And they malign you for it. What crowd are you running with? Really, it really, it's, it's what lifestyle are you plunging into? Is it any different than what your neighbors who don't believe are plunging into? Are you running in the same race, playing by the same rules, as if our thinking was the same as theirs? You know how hard it is for us? You know how hard it is for me? I mean, it's everything I want to keep up with my neighbors. If their lawn looks good, I want my lawn to look good. If they got some new car, I want a new car. I mean, there's so many things that I continually try to compare myself as if I'm running the same race they're running. That I should be living the same life they're living. That I should be plunging in with them. And I also want us to be warned this. There are some who will be so fearful that we'll run with the wrong crowd, that we'll plunge with the wrong crowd, that we'll say, let's just separate ourselves from society. I mean, really, we've got to build some big walls here because they're, they're running after some really bad stuff out there. And we've got to so protect ourselves that we can't associate with them. Because if we associate with them, you know what's going to happen. We're going to get dirty and our, and our minds are going to be corrupt and we're going to all start running the same race. But it, there's a tension here. But the beauty is, is God is calling us to live out our lives next to them, to really be running our lives right next to them. I mean, we're all there together. We're not supposed to be just knocking them down and, and saying you guys are all a bunch of losers. We're supposed to live our lives in a way that we're not running in the same way. Our stride is different. It's for the glory of God. And we're running in a way that pleases Him. But we still are running right next to the world. Because that's the only way we're salt and light. That's the only way we tell His story. Does that make sense? So the good news is you don't have to quit your job tomorrow because it's filled with pagans. The good news is you don't have to stop what you're doing because those around you don't believe. Here's what God is calling us to. Radical thinking, radical right thinking, radical right living. So that they can look at our lifestyle and say, man, that is really weird. Are you kidding me? You spent a Saturday at Eatonville building someone's house you don't know? Are you kidding me? You give 10% of your gross income away? Are you kidding me? You're loving someone above your own needs? You're reading God's word, believing that ancient book really has... Are you kidding me? They say that they're going to think that we're really weird and foreign and odd for believing what we do and not doing what they do. I grew up in a home that we had uh, several foreign exchange students stay. It was a great uh, addition to my childhood. It really provided a lot of wonderful colors, and it gave me an opportunity to experience culture outside my own. And I, I remember they did some really weird things. I mean, do you ever, you ever be with an Australian? Have you ever, anybody ever had Vegemite? That stuff is just plain nasty. It's black paste, and they call it peanut butter, and they put it on about everything. I mean, they pull that thing out, and it's just weird. And then we had this student from Japan. You know what he had? He had a little bag of, of uh, dried squid. And anytime you opened it up, the entire house now changed odor. And it stunk. And, you know, you put one in your mouth and you swear you're, che- you're chewing rotted rubber bands <laughs> that are just putrid. You think, what is the matter with you? Why, why, are, you, why are you doing this? It is weird. Well, it's a different culture. You see, our lives should be strange to the non-Christians in what we do.
or the way we worship God instead of their idols. It's, it says that they don't understand that we're not having these parties and we're not serving their idols. Our worship of God instead of worshiping the idols of this world by doing what they are not doing. Even today, by coming in here on this beautiful day on a Sunday and say, I'm going to worship the living and true God, not the God of exercise. Making our lives a living sacrifice, giving our tithes and offerings by doing that which the pagan world, the non-believing world is not doing. That is what God is calling us in radical living. Radical right living. Our lives should be strange to the non-Christians, not only what we do, but what we don't do. Listen, what we don't do. There should be a difference in what we pursue and what they're pursuing. What we are not engaged in, what we say no to, should delineate us from them. And if there's no distinction, we really are not living out the will of God. And he says, listen, so clearly, it's time has passed for that. I'm giving you such a greater calling. There's been a victory in Christ. Now we have the ability to have life and life abundantly. Now we have the ability to live a life that pleases God and really brings meaning and life and purpose. And the non-Christian world should look at us and say, I don't get it for what they do and I don't get it for what they don't do. Interesting, this dissipation, it can be translated, excess can be translated flood. Our world is living in a flood, a time, a flood of dissipation. It's our society. Is our society pursuing this? I mean, are they pursuing uh, and glamorizing uh, a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries? Is that not what we find ourselves a flood in? It's flooded all around us. And I love this. I love how Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's proclaimed victory in Christ. He's reminded us about Noah. And what did Noah have to go through? A flood. And what were, what were, what were the uh, people around Noah living in? A flood. A flood of sin and sensuality. A flood of it. And here he's tying in the same thing, saying our society is in a flood of idolatry, a flood of wrong living. And he's calling us to have the right thinking and the right living. Doing the right thing might cost you something. Most likely it will. It maligned them. They were made fun of because of it. It killed them. And it's killing some of our brothers and sisters. Think about this. Even today. Even today, right thinking and right living is leading Christians to be killed. I want to talk to the young people, the students for a moment and say that I wish I could tell you as your pastor that doing the right thing, thinking the right things will lead those around you to applaud you and it won't. They'll trip you up. They'll try to knock you down. They'll make fun of you. They'll call you names. But know you're in good company. They spit on your Savior too. And the Spirit of God will lift you up. You know, when you think about doing the right thing and being made fun of, what's the thing that comes to mind is judgment. Judgment. God, will you deal with them? It says in verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter uses the exact same verbiage in Acts chapter 10, the judging of the living and dead. And he's reminding us, listen, you just do the right thing. You have right thinking. You have right living. And just trust God. I mean, God sees it all. And God, there will be a day where every tongue will confess. There will be a day when every knee shall bow. There will be a day 
when those who are pursuing a lifestyle of sinfulness and are maligning you will stand before him. Keep doing what is right. But what about those who died for their beliefs? That's what I think verse 6 is dealing with. What about those who, who did the right thing and in doing the right thing and thinking the right thing even cost them their very lives? Look what verse 6 says. For the gospel for this purpose has been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. There's such good news for us, Christian. Listen, nothing, Christian, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not even death. Not even persecution. Not even being maligned by this world. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So by God's grace, when we have right thinking, and by God's grace, when we have right living, and even if it costs us our very lives, we will be made alive in the Spirit. And nothing will separate us from His love. Not even death. Does God want us rich? Yes, He wants us rich with right thinking. He wants us rich with right living. And oh, the riches that we have in Christ. And the riches that are ours. The riches that are ours when we live out the will of God for His glory. He who had all the riches became poor. So that in Him we can be made truly rich. Not in the way this world tells us to be rich. Not in the way this world tells us to pursue our lives. But in a way that says, God, I want to think rightly. And I want to live rightly. All for the will of God. All for your glory and grace. Because there's no other way to live. Because listen, everything else is truly dying. Everything else is truly dying. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, it's an incredible, lavished love and grace that is poured upon us that we can be called the children of God. And that is who we are. And God, now that we can live our lives according to your will, and now because you've dealt with our past, the payment has been made. You've empowered our present condition through the power of the resurrected Savior and the Holy Spirit living in us. You've guaranteed our future that one day we will see you face to face. And you've told us so clearly that we now have the privilege, the right, the responsibility to live our lives the remaining time according to the will of God. And we will also know, thank you for your wisdom, God, that you've told us the truth, that there'll be a world out there that just doesn't get it. And with right thinking and right living, it's a dangerous place to be in this society. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters today in harm's way. Because truthfully, right living and right thinking is not going to cost us a whole lot realistically. But there's some who are giving their lives for it. Because Jesus, you gave your life for us. Now God, please come with power with your spirit here. God, there's a message out there that tells us a way to live and it's, it leads to death. And even inside some churches are saying this is the way to live and it just doesn't equate to your word. God, start with me for your glory and for this body. Give us right thinking. 
and right living according to the will of God. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.